0: You're listening to the Hello Awesome Podcast, and this is episode number 31. Hey, you guys, welcome to season two of the podcast. I cannot believe that we have come this far. When I launched the podcast back in February, I didn't know how it was going to go or play out, but I knew God had given me something special to share. So I thank you so, so much for listening and showing up today. Season two is following a similar format as season one meaning one solo episode, followed by one interview episode, with the exception of this month, and here is why. Within the past few months, the topic of mental health has been a discussion among church people on social media, as it should be, but with many different viewpoints. I felt impressed upon the Lord to dive into a biblical study concerning suicide after a dear Instagram friend of mine confessed that she was close to taking her own life a few weeks back. It made me realize that we not only need to be kinder to those suffering from depression and mental health issues, but we also need to be more educated to help. I am not an expert. I am not a professional, and I urge anyone listening to reach out to someone who is so that you can get the proper care. October will be Mental Health Awareness Month on the podcast. Today, you will be hearing the results of my in depth study and research about depression, specifically suicide, and we look closely to the tragic death of Judas. The next three episodes will feature guest interviews with incredible godly ladies who have firsthand seen the effects of depression and understand the need to speak about mental health more in the church. Just like season one, This season, we'll have a new podcast episode every Monday morning from now until the end of the year. That's right, guys. I am already working on episodes for 2020, so that should really excite you and give you hope for the future. So if you have not subscribed to the Hello Awesome podcast on iTunes yet or left a positive review as encouragement, please do so very soon. It really would bless my heart. So right now, we are going to go into the first solo show of Season 2, the first episode of October's Mental Health Awareness Month, and get into a real conversation about suicide. Please understand, I know that there is so much more to learn about this topic, and I tried my best to honor what God gave me. So let's get into it, my friends. This is episode number 31 that I am calling Breaking Through the Fog. Listening to the Hello Awesome podcast. I'm JC, and this is the place where we get real, sharing truthful insights that will encourage us to make intentional choices in both life and business. I want to start conversations that not many young Christians today are having. Will you join me? This podcast is brought to you by my new book, The Glitter Effect. Have you ever spilled glitter? It's almost impossible to get every speck back into the bottle. This is exactly how our influence is with the people around us. What we say and do matters, especially if we are to reflect Christ. Are you ready to leave behind a legacy that shines for Him? Then grab your copy today on Amazon by searching for The Glitter Effect or head to the show notes for a direct link. I am pleased to announce that the Hello Awesome podcast is sponsored by the modest fashion clothing brand, Nuggles. Aiming to always provide beautiful, comfortable, and affordable apparel, Nuggles desires every lady to embrace modesty with style. You don't have to break the bank or sacrifice that morning latte when you shop with Nuggles. In fact, Hello Awesome listeners can use the 10% off exclusive discount code by using Hello Awesome 10 during checkout. Go to Nuggles.us to browse their full collection today. Again, that's N-U-G-G-L-E-S dot U-S to shop high quality products to add to your modest wardrobe right now. Hey, I am JC Lee Pulford and we are back on the Hello Awesome podcast. I am your host and this is the first episode of season two. Today's episode will be a long one because we are going to be talking about a very serious subject. And it's actually taken me a very long time to bring it to you here on the podcast because I wanted to make sure that the Lord was directing my words and I wasn't trying to impose some internal wisdom that I think I have surrounding this topic. I can assure you, I do not think that at all. In fact, I have taken a lot of time to pray and research so that this conversation can be well rounded. And not just another Christian trying to use controversial dialogue to benefit their ministry goals. Okay, so this is not what this is about. The interviews I have on the podcast this month highlight mental health, specifically suicide. And I knew God was guiding me on how to speak into this tragic reality for those of us in the church. Because guys, depression and suicide are real. And the more we ignore these issues within the body of Christ, the more we are allowing the enemy to work. So, I wanted to start with an apology, and it might not make sense yet, but it will. I wanted to tell anyone out there who struggles with depression or suicidal thoughts that I am truly sorry. I am sorry if church makes you feel like you can't share hard things. I am sorry that the people you trust ignore your pain and look the other way. I'm sorry that the dark cloud won't lift and the presence of God seems like a myth. I'm sorry you don't feel safe. I'm sorry for whatever heaviness you may feel even when you're in a crowded room. I'm sorry for the loneliness that lays with you at night and steals your joy. I am sorry that you don't feel beautiful enough, smart enough, worthy enough to love. And I'm sorry you don't feel seen. I was just a little girl about five to seven years old when a 15-year-old childhood friend of mine took his life right across the street from our city apartment. He was always so sweet to me, even when my older cousins wouldn't include me in football. He never hesitated to pass me the ball. In that moment, as a child, I saw the stretcher wheel out of the front door and into a waiting ambulance. I watched that ambulance drive off and knew he would not come back ever again. I was in middle school, one of the most awkward and insanely difficult times as a preteen. A beautiful girl named Tabitha showed up one day in class and we became instant friends. I remember giggling on the way to and from bathroom trips because I don't know if you know this but at that age girls start to travel in packs. I remember thinking how funny and amazing she was. Then one day I walked into class and her seat was empty. I was really confused and no one seemed to have any answer. As to where Tabitha had gone. Rumors floated around but it wasn't until I began high school years later that I found out the truth. Tabitha was an orphan and bounced around from foster home to foster home. While we were in school together she was in her last foster home before being brought to live in a mental institution for girls. Tabitha had suffered great trauma in her short life and the sweet girl that I knew in school was only one side of her. At home, she was known to make death threats to her foster parents and the children there. She was violent, abusive, and uncontrollable. In the institution, she was reprimanded on a consistent basis and became increasingly troublesome. As an attendant did bedroom checks one day, they found Tabitha had taken her own life alone in her room. As an adult, I found only one public record file about her life and one school photo taken around the time we were friends. I have it saved as my one reminder of the friend I once knew. I was about 21 years old when I began dating my husband, Jonathan. I wasn't saved yet, but very soon I'd be attending his church and receiving weekly Bible studies. Then one day, I was told that a teenage girl from that church had ended her life and their small community was rocked. As I began to attend faithfully shortly after, one of the first women to approach and befriend me was the girl's mother. I saw her pain and sorrow, and I watched her family grapple with their new normal, which was anything but that, and I watched as God moved and healed whatever was left of their broken hearts. I was a married woman rocking her inconsolable second-born when postpartum depression swept over me. He was only a month old when I broke my foot leaving me to try and balance life with a toddler and a new baby. The long and painful recovery time tossed me into a dark place for the next six months. I remember feeling dragged down, exhausted by simple things, and wanting to crawl into a cave for rest from the chaos. I was not suicidal, I will admit. My experiences with how suicide affects everyone involved was enough to realize life was a precious gift and I really wasn't ready to give it back to God. But I knew had I not had those experiences in my life, I may have thought suicide was an option. My normal bubbly humor dried up. The optimist outlook turned off. I remember thinking how I didn't feel like myself at all. I wasn't a depressing person, but in that moment I was depressed. The fog just hovered. It truly came like a thief in the night hours my new baby wouldn't sleep every night, the constant crying was earth shattering. My husband and I took turns which definitely helped a lot. Eventually, I remember thinking, this can either destroy me, affecting everyone else my life touches, or I can try to give him thanks in the middle of the storm. I was too tired to read so I listened to a Bible app. I was too tired to attend night services, so I watched preaching on YouTube. I was way too tired and out of it to even pray, but I knew a small group of strong, God-fearing women would intercede on my behalf. Soon, the fog did dissolve, and God restored clarity for me. And I know my story is not the same as others, and so it is with great conviction and discernment We go into a message God has specifically given to me concerning this. Depression, anxiety, loneliness, and low self worth are only a few battles we face at times within our minds and our lives. These can all contribute to why someone may think suicide is an option for them. And while the basic principles of prayer, the word, and praise are still alive and working today, for those struggling through a fog, it's hard to see them because, honestly, it's hard to see anything at all. Right now, we as a church are shouting through the fog at those on the other side. We wave our flashlights high in the air and motion for their attention, but thick fog blinds vision and may leave people walking in the opposite direction, out of frustration or confusion, out of anger or hopelessness. They further their distance And that can lead to darker clouds. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention states that on average, there are 129 deaths by suicide every day. Based on a 2017 Youth Risk Behavior Survey, 7.4% of young people in grades 9 through 12 reported that they had made at least one suicide attempt in the past 12 months, with female students attempting almost twice as often as male students. Based on the 2017 National Survey of Drug Use and Mental Health, it is estimated that 0.6% of adults age 18 or older made at least one suicide attempt. This translates to approximately 1.4 million adults. Suicidal thoughts have numerous causes, according to Mayo Clinic. Most often, suicidal thoughts are the results of feeling like you can't cope when you're faced with what seems to be an overwhelming life situation. If you don't have hope for the future, you may mistakenly think suicide is a solution. You may experience a sort of tunnel vision where in the middle of a crisis, you believe suicide is the only way out. So here's the real question we need to start asking. How do we handle suicide within Christianity? I believe we mean well, but honestly, we need to stop only talking into the fog. Sometimes we need to take action to reach the ones inside the fog. Maybe that means we need to take a step forward to reach those in the depths of the dark clouds. Maybe we need to put down our megaphones and put out our hands. When a person is deep in a fog, their reality is manipulated. We are yelling, just pray, and they are crying, But I can't even see where my feet are. How can I bow down? We are yelling, just read your Bible. And they are crying, I can't even see my hands. How can I even hold one? We also yell to them, just praise them anyway. And in the depths of their souls, they cry, how can I when the fog has swallowed my voice? When someone is battling depression, they need to know that they are not alone in the deep fog. Do they need prayer, the word, and praise? Without a doubt. But we condemn those who are lost in the fog for struggling while we shout directions from the outskirts, from the comfortable places, from the clarity of our own cloudless minds. And it's not helping anyone who is in a season where they cannot even see the basic things. Instead of projecting the truth with our own minds, what if we took actions with our hands and feet? We can say something like, you know what? I know it's hard for you to pray right now, So I'm going to call you once a week and pray over the phone with you. You don't even have to speak because I'm going to speak over you. Or we can say, I understand trying to get into the word is difficult right now for you. So I'm going to send you a scripture verse every morning for the next three weeks so that you have something tangible and available to start your day with. We can also say, you know what, I know it's so hard for you to move right now, but take my hand and we'll go down to the altar together. You don't have to feel shame or guilt. I'm going to praise the Lord with you because you are not alone in the fog. I am here. How powerful of a blow would that be to the fog if we stepped in with action? Anyone experiencing depression already feels guilt and shame. It's part of why they're in the fog. We don't have to yell into it instructions. We need to gently lead them out if they are willing. That's the key. People must be willing to receive help in order for the fog to lift. And I hope as I go into this story, I can share my study notes in a respectful way. Not to bring more shame or condemnation, but to shine light on truth and the root of the issue at hand. Let's go into one of the most controversial suicides in the Bible. The story of Judas. When the morning was come all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and departed, and went and hanged himself. Matthew 27, 1-5 If we go back in the story, Judas knows that Jesus is being sought after, and he decides he wants to profit off of this situation. So, he makes an agreement with the chief priests and the elders so that he will lead them to where Jesus was, and they would pay him for it. I don't believe Judas wanted to really harm Jesus. I do believe he loved him. But I also believe Judas was so blind by his love of money and his greed to see the clear picture of what he was really doing. Still, this betrayal was significant for a few reasons. The main reason was this was the beginning of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another reason this betrayal is significant is what happened to Judas afterward. Judas brings the chief priests and elders, which let me remind you, these are high-ranking leaders in the church, not some random crooks or murderers. They intend to put Jesus to death, and so they bind him up and bring him to Pilate the governor. It's when Judas is watching this all unfold and realizing what he helped do that he becomes full of guilt. Let's look at the scripture again in Matthew 27, 3-4. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. The moment Judas saw that Jesus was being condemned, scripture says that he repented himself before bringing the thirty pieces of silver back to the chief priests and elders. Repented himself doesn't mean the same repentance that Jesus had been teaching. The way repentance is in here means to regret. Because Judas repented within himself, it brought condemnation upon him and not conviction. It was an internal sorrow that needed an external healing from God. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death repentance to salvation means a change of mind from a purpose formed or something done it's a turning away from sin toward god a reversal of decisions in order to adopt the ways of god which leads to salvation meaning deliverance in christ but sorrow of the world Sadness and grief within humanity and not searching outward to God leads to death which is the opposite of salvation. Godly sorrow leads to life. Sorrow of the world leads to death. This could mean death spiritually or in the body. It is a separation of soul and body whether spiritually or naturally. Godly sorrow is turning to God's ways but sorrows of the world turns into ourselves. This is a dangerous choice, and often we are so condemned and heavy with sorrow that we are convinced we do not deserve the loving intervention of God. Sorrow of the world creates a heavy cloud of guilt, shame, and regret, but does not bring positive solutions. It allows heaviness to push us away from people and God. This leads us to thinking that negative options are real options. This can lead us to seeing suicide as a viable permanent solution to an often temporary problem. Next week, I'll be sharing an interview that I had with photographer Christina Baker about this and she highlights this a lot more as she shares her struggle with suicidal thoughts and she shares her powerful testimony on how God brought her through. So make sure you tune in to hear her next week on episode 32. Godly sorrow leads to repentance-that's an open door to deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that He is with us and has not forsaken us; we are led to truth, that if we take His yoke upon us His burden is easy and light, so ours will be as well." matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty says: "Come unto Me, All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a beam to balance weight, usually for a pair of oxen working in the fields, so the pressure is evenly distributed. If one oxen feels more weight or pressure, it will slow them down. The Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what that is like feeling the full weight of something heavy. As he carried the solid wooden cross toward Calvary's hill, the one he will eventually be nailed to, Jesus felt every bit of that cross on his shoulder. To make the situation even more unbearable, He was beaten and spit on as the heavy cross weighed him down. Jesus took the full weight of that cross upon him without any relief because he knew that soon he will be able to provide hope to us right now, those who are weighed down by the heaviness of life. When the scripture says labor, That could mean a weary, tired, or exhausted feeling due to burdens or grief, a mental heaviness because of life, and it can also mean physical hard work. It's when we feel fatigued and that can lead to being heavy laden or loaded with burdens or anxiety within ourselves. When Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, it means to elevate from the ground and rise up, to take or move from a lower position to a higher one, and to place his yoke or his perfect balance beam upon your shoulders so that the weight can be distributed and you no longer have to feel the heaviness alone. Jesus is not prideful or puffed up, but lowly and humble to where he will meet you eye to eye. This is what we must do, church. Many times, those in high positions look down, and speak down out of habit to those people struggling in the fog in order to get their point across. They use aggressive tones and language like, Why don't you just pray about it and get over yourself? And they're not gentle in their approach, but instead are loud, boastful, and harsh. Jesus is not this way concerning this issue. When he notices someone is weary and heavy laden, When he sees an internal struggle of anxiety and fatigue, he gets low in a gentle way so that he is approachable and his yoke can be easily attained. Usually, we are hovering over those struggling with depression, shouting for them to grab the yoke, but we aren't properly positioning ourselves on the same level for them to even reach it. At the same time, If we are the ones struggling, we need to have a posture where we are level with Jesus so that we can grab his yoke for us without verbally abusing ourselves out of a blessing. Because after we take his yoke and place it upon ourselves, there is a promise for us. The scripture continues, And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. To learn is to increase one's knowledge, to hear or be informed and understand something on a deeper level. But not just learn anything. We must learn more about Jesus because he is meek and lowly, humble and available. We can attain more knowledge about who he is. So after we take his yoke or have an awareness that God is shifting the weight so that we're not bearing it all on our own, We are commanded to learn of him, to increase our knowledge, read and study scripture, listen to preaching, pray to the Lord for wisdom and understanding. It is then that we will find rest for our souls. Rest meaning to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect some strength, to refresh, keep quiet, have a calm and patient expectation. That calm and patient expectation is because we know who Jesus is, and we are convinced that all expectations are fulfilled in God. Psalm 62, 5 through 8 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Expectation is a thing we desire or the outcome hoped for. It is a ground of hope for us. Our expectation is from the Lord Jesus Christ because our knowledge is increased which means so is our faith and that enables us to have hope in Jesus. Inner turmoil can happen and create toxic cycles emotionally when we have unrealistic expectations in ourselves or in other humans. When these expectations are not met, this is when we have no foundation for hope because we choose or we chose an unstable source for hope. Humans can never be our source for hope. We are fickle and fragile and sinful. We are so easily deceived and subject to selfish desires on a daily basis. So when Judas repented himself, he didn't have what it took to give himself hope. Because he is not the hope giver. He regretted what he did and took matters into his own hands in the most literal way. He disciplined himself to the highest degree. Suicide. His life in his own hands. But I am truly convinced without a shadow of a doubt, once he felt that regret. If he went before Jesus humbly with godly sorrow and asked for forgiveness, Jesus wouldn't have hesitated to pardon his betrayal. Often in our minds we play out what people's reactions are before even really knowing the truth. Judas walked with Jesus. He knew him very well. But he allowed the sorrow of the world to influence him and that led to taking his own life. His story did not have to end that way. I am praying right now that there will be less stories that end that way in Jesus' name. We serve a loving, merciful God who took upon him the form of a servant and subjected himself to the cross so that we may have eternal life with him. The story of Judas is a tragedy in many ways, but I think the biggest way is how he allowed the battle within his own mind win over the knowledge he already had about Jesus. Knowing who Jesus is provides a more positive option other than suicide but we must turn towards that knowledge when we feel as though our minds are giving into the dark fog. The scripture says that Satan entered into Judas before he betrayed Jesus. And that doesn't always mean a physical invasion or a spiritual overtaking, but it does mean Satan's principles spiritually swayed Judas in the choices that would follow. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Ephesians 6, 10-13 When we are in deep depression, we are vulnerable to the persuasive whispers of the enemy. His voice will say, You are worthless. It's your fault. You are not good enough to be loved. You have no hope. Don't listen to those lies because all the enemy wants is for more people to turn away from the hope giver. Jesus will never say that to you and will never think that about you. You are worth his blood and it covers the multitude of sin no matter how bad or how dirty or how far it has pushed you away from him. Remind yourself that Jesus is interested in restoring your heart better than ever and the entire reason why he created you in the first place was to have a relationship with you, no matter what. The enemy wants to sever that relationship because he is jealous of us. Satan is jealous that we have the ability to repent and reconcile with God because he never got that. He is a fallen angel cast out of heaven because of his selfishness. And so he will do and say whatever he can to get us to deny our God and join his evil army. Don't let him win. This is why Jesus says, learn of me because the weapon of our warfare is found in his word. And that knowledge creates a barrier Satan cannot cross. Second Corinthians 10, three through six tells us, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Through God, we have the power to pull down any stronghold that keeps us from His hands. God is not a bully, So if we are having thoughts that are bullying or berating us about how worthless we are, we have to remind ourselves that that voice is not the voice of God. The scripture says we need to cast down or destroy imaginations or reasonings that raise up against the knowledge of God, against who God says that he is and who we know he is. That knowledge is the key to freedom. That knowledge is the key to hope. How do we tap into that? by bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The battle of our mental health starts in our minds. Philippians 4, 8 tells us, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. What are our thoughts when we are alone? What are our thoughts concerning God and who He says that we are? Not only does this mean taking inventory over the thoughts we have internally, but this also means taking into captivity or arresting every thought that comes in from outside sources. This may be that we need to start having boundaries with some people in our lives if they're always putting us down and speaking negatively about us. This might mean filtering what we watch on Netflix or television. If we're watching shows or movies that glorify promiscuous behavior or something that is continually inputting negative principles within our mind, it is time to change that. Change how we're being influenced. God can instantly, without a doubt, deliver us from the fog of depression and restore our mental health in an instant, but we have to take little steps every day towards a healthier mindset. We have to be accountable, one positive thought at a time one scripture verse at a time, one step towards his hand at a time. Now, I have to discuss just for a moment about the natural things that happen when we are depressed according to medical research and what science has to say about this topic. There is a place for knowledge gained by professionals who are seeking to understand how our body works and how we can make our lives better if we are struggling. I believe that we should not be ignorant and discount what scientists are doing but we must be discerning about the information and open to learning more so that we can be in harmony with God. He has blessed certain people with amazing gifts to help us here on earth. Doctors and scientists need to be respected in my opinion. However, we should always match up the research with the word of God, praying for discernment and following the instruction of a pastor or godly mentor when it relates to science and medical research. That being said, Here is what I found while studying. In July of 2009, there was a very informative article that was published online, and I will link it in the show notes so you can read it by yourself. It has since been updated as of July of this year, 2019, with new information, and it is from the Harvard Health Publishing website from Harvard Medical School. The title is, What Causes Depression? And I want to touch on just a few highlights that I believe will be helpful for us to understand depression in the natural sense. While science has brought forth a lot of helpful information for us regarding depression and how it affects our bodies, to my surprise, the article reinforces the idea that depression is more complex than just a brain chemical imbalance. Many times we have heard that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain, and while some of that is true, there is more to it. Now, I'm going to read a couple of quotes from the article because I like how they worded their findings and it will be easier for you to understand. Research suggests that depression doesn't spring from simply having too much or too little of certain brain chemicals. Rather, there are many possible causes of depression including faulty mood regulation by the brain, genetic vulnerability, stressful life events, medications, and medical problems. It's believed that several of these forces interact to bring on depression. To be sure, chemicals are involved in this process, but it is not a simple matter of one chemical being too low or another too high. Rather, many chemicals are involved, working both inside and outside nerve cells. There are millions, even billions, of chemical reactions that make up the dynamic system that is responsible for your mood, perceptions, and how you experience life. With this level of complexity, you can see how two people might have similar symptoms of depression, but the problem is on the inside and therefore what treatments will work best may be entirely different. So right now, within the first few paragraphs, the writer wants us to know that there is not one clear answer for what causes depression. We can look at this in two ways, one, the writer wants us to understand it is a complex issue and there isn't one magic way to clear it up. Secondly, this reaffirms us as believers that there may be spiritual hindrances to healing that science cannot see. Let me continue with an interesting point that was made in the middle of the article. Now, I'm going to sound super smart right now when I speak medical jargon, but I assure you, I am no neuroscientist. But the way the writer lays out medical facts as to what may cause depression actually helps us understand how complex it can be for someone and why just telling them to quote unquote get over it may be so insensitive and quite frankly ignorant to physical triggers in the brain. Brain cells usually produce levels of neurotransmitters that keep senses, learning movements, and moods perking along. But in some people who have severely depressed or manic, the complex systems that accomplish this goes awry. For example, receptors may be oversensitive or insensitive to specific neurotransmitter, causing their response to its release to be excessive or inadequate. Or a message might be weakened if the originating cell pumps out too little of the neurotransmitter or if an overly efficient reuptake mops up too much before the molecules have the chance to bind to the receptors on other neurons. Any of these system faults could significantly affect mood. They continue by naming different kinds of neurotransmitters and their descriptions. There are quite a bit, so I'm just going to read off the two main ones that caught my attention, and you can click the link in the show notes if you'd like to read the rest. Serotonin, helps regulate sleep, appetite, and mood, and inhibits pain. Research supports the idea that some depressed people have reduced serotonin transmission. Low levels of a serotonin byproduct have been linked to a higher risk for suicide. Okay, so this tells us that in some people suffering from depression, they may have low levels of a serotonin byproduct, and since it's low, things that affect us daily like sleep, appetite, and mood, even pain, isn't being regulated properly. The results of that can send someone deeper into depression and sometimes suicide. Here's another good point the writer made. Dopamine is essential to movement. It also influences motivation and plays a role in how a person perceives reality. Problems in dopamine transition have been associated with psychosis, a severe form of distorted thinking characterized by hallucinations or delusions. It's also involved in the brain's reward system, so it is thought to play a role in substance abuse. This right here is something we as a church need to discuss more of because it is scientifically proven that when someone is addicted to a substance, which can be anything by the way, not just alcohol or drugs, it can also be technology or social media, we can experience more dopamine that triggers a reward system in our brain. Dopamine helps reinforce certain behaviors that result in a reward. For example, a surge of dopamine is what prompts a lab rat to repeatedly press a lever to get a pellet of food. As humans, we are trained in certain ways that are unhealthy to our bodies as well as our spirits. For instance, Social media has gained popularity not only because we can connect with one another, but it does give us a reward for our behavior. Post a photo and someone likes it, we feel good. So we continue to post photos and share highlights of our lives to interact. More likes, more followers, more rewards, at least within our brains. This is why sometimes a child may become unruly without screen time if they're used to it but remains calm when it's introduced again. They are accustomed to a certain behavior and their brains are rewarded when the substance is reintroduced. Now, I am not condemning any of these things. Trust me, this is real life. These are merely examples to prove a scientific fact. The article continues on discussing how genetics, temperament, stress, trauma, loss, and medical problems can all be factors as to what causes depression. I encourage you to read the entire article. It is truly fascinating and will give you a greater perspective scientifically. Understanding the medical research that has been done surrounding depression and suicide does not make us any less of a Christian. If we are ignorant and blind to knowledge gained by medical professionals that can somehow be helpful to us, we might be missing something that can bring us through the fog. I do think we shouldn't just take whatever medications that are being pushed our way because even in the article it stated that certain medications can actually make matters worse. However, we should give honor to medical professionals and their work, knowing our great physician is looking out for our well-being. In the Bible, the Lord placed secular people in certain places that actually helped his people succeed. Rahab was certainly not a saint, but her desire to do good and help God's people not only earned her a place in his family, but she became part of the bloodline of Christ. Without Rahab, the two men sent to spy on Jericho may not have returned to camp and Joshua may not have had the victory to inhabit Jericho for God's people. This is not a medical example, but I just want us to remember that pride goeth before a fall and we cannot walk around like holy know-it-alls. Sometimes God sends donkeys and kings, sometimes shepherds and harlots, sometimes doctors and scientists in order to teach his children important lessons. He may very well send us a doctor or someone with medical knowledge to help us through a rough physical season, even if there are still some spiritual battles. So be discerning, prayerful, and remind yourself that we are complex creatures, but we serve a faithful God he does not want us to fall. Jesus is our hope giver. While we as a church need to be better at how we help our fellow brothers and sisters deal with mental health and suicide, those of us who are in the fog must never give up hope. We have an advocate who carried the cross at Calvary and sacrificed his life for our own. It is not up to us to give that gift of life back. It's a powerful gift that should be cherished and protected. The enemy knows that if he can convince us to give that gift of life back, we will be under his domain for all eternity. And while I believe we have up until our very last breath to pray for forgiveness and repent with godly sorrow, I am praying we don't wait that long. Jesus is our hope giver and that hope is available right now, today. This fog is temporary. It's a temporary season, but beyond the fog, beyond the storm, is a rainbow of promises painted in the sky so we can look up and remember. Remember who created you and why. Remember the gentleness of our shepherd calling us closer and into relationship with him. Remember our great big God becoming a man so that he could be tempted just like us, yet overcome the wages of death by the power of the cross. And remember that same Jesus, who was crucified, rose up from the grave three days later, leaving victory behind for the rest of us. And as he returned to heaven, sent us his spirit to dwell within us so we can never be alone or forsaken. God did not have to do any of this, but he did. He has a greater purpose for our lives. Let us not give back the gift, but let us embrace the hope of Jesus that with him, We will never be alone. If you would like the full notes of this episode for your own personal study and research, I am offering them for free as a PDF file. Just email me at helloawesomeshop at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at Ministries and put your email. I will be more than happy to share what God has taught me about this topic. I want to end this episode with prayer. I believe in the power of going before our God and giving His Spirit an opportunity to make intercession for us. Lord, I want to first thank You for being who You are, for allowing us a chance to get to know You and have a close relationship with You. I know that there may be someone listening right now who is in a deep fog, and I pray for the fog to be lifted, Jesus. I pray for Your presence and peace to flood their hearts and minds, bringing into captivity every thought that threatens their walk with You. I pray for angels to be released and surround those hurting and in need of ministering spirits. I ask that you send them godly counsel and positive influences that will cover them in a community of love. Lord, I pray against every dark force that is trying to convince our young people to give the gift of life back and I ask for your divine intervention into their unique situations. You are the one and only true God whose power is above all else and I trust in your great name that the tactics and plans of the enemy will fall down at the feet of your people. Let us gain strength in your word, building, understanding, and filling ourselves with truth. I am so thankful for your mercy and forgiveness. Thank you for being our hope giver. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you or someone you know is contemplating suicide. Don't wait to get help. Call 1-800-273-8255 to be connected to a 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can also quickly and easily text the word CONNECT C-O-N-N-E-C-T to 741-741 from anywhere in the United States at any time about any type of crisis. A live, trained crisis counselor will be in touch with you instantly. There is no shame in getting help. Your life matters. And Jesus really does love you. If you found this episode inspiring or helpful, would you take a screenshot of it and share it on your Instagram stories? Tagging me at Hello Awesome Ministries. It will encourage me that you were blessed. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you can tune in to future episodes. To learn more about Hello Awesome, head to HelloAwesomeMinistries.com. Until next time, keep your chin up beautiful.